All right, guys, it is Rick, and uh, this is Rick with Flip with Rick, and we are in a new time today. Um, we're testing this out to see um, if you guys like it. So you guys normally see me at 5 o'clock Eastern time, so it's 1 o'clock Eastern time. Um, today's a national holiday. Uh, if you're a vet, please let me know. We'd love to see that. Um, let me bring this on here. And so guys, you'll see the, uh, the comments. So the comments are going to be on the right hand side and let me know where, um, you are coming from. Let me see here. Ah, uh, so guys, just to make sure, uh, let me know what market you guys are in. I'm trying to fix something on the computer while I'm doing this. And uh, of course, it does not want to work for me. So um, let me work on something here. So guys, if you're new to this channel, my name is Rickin. And today we are talking about creative financing. So a lot of you don't realize I actually do a ton of creative financing stuff. Um, I make it secondary to wholesaling because my primary focus is always going to be on wholesaling. And But today we're going to talk all about creative financing. I'm going to actually walk you through start to finish on how to locate these deals, how to take the deals down, the different options you have on them. And then from there, we're going to do like a Q&A. So I'll probably take the first 45 minutes because I need that much time to kind of go through it. And we're going to go from a basic entry level. And I want you guys to understand is you don't have to know everything about real estate. And people who tell you that, it's, it's those are the ones who do analysis uh, are, are stuck with the paralysis analysis, however you want to call it. And I'm here to tell you is if you can focus on solving people's problems and maximizing their value, you can do really, really amazing things. So hold on one second here. I got to fix, uh, figure out how to pull this thing on. So, okay, there it is. And let's see if I can slide this over. Present. Sure. There it is. Okay. Um, I'm just making sure I can do that. Okay. That works. Okay. And remove. Okay. Awesome. So guys use the comments. So it's one o'clock. I got a lot more energy. Uh, maybe it's just like earlier. I, I don't know. So um, we'll figure this out. So let me know which ones which market you're from. If you guys are brand new to this and you're figuring like, well, how the heck does this guy do this? Go over to freewholesaling.com. I will put this up for you. Uh, me and Zach put out the only 100% free wholesaling course. Um, we are extremely disruptive in the wholesaling space. You're in a new world where all these gurus, all they want to do is take your money and try to teach you how to do one or two deals. Forget that. Not only am I going to teach you how to do your first deal with my 20 years plus experience, I'm going to teach you how to get to your first hundred grand. And if you guys hold on tight by the end of this year, I'm going to give you an option to get that hundred grand up to a million. And here's the really cool part is I will never ask you for money. I just, I rather lead you to the promised land. And then you go, man, I got to find out how to work with Rick and Zach, as opposed to every other guru is they want to guard their time and charge you up front. And I just think that is a really old way to think. Um, 
and it's a uh, me mentality. And let's get, I get, you got to live off the coaching income, but honestly, if they value their time, I, I just, I'm not going to trade my time for dollars. So I want to work on deals. So my favorite thing is to do deals with you guys. That's it. And if I can teach you for free how to get up and do deals and even JV with me, then my job is done. So nobody else does this. Everybody else is a pay for play. And I'd rather show you how to do this and show you what actually works. That way I don't have to charge you. And now we can avoid the 95% failure ratio of real estate investing coaching. And guys, that is the true number. So if you're considering signing up a course, make sure you understand the risk is on you. There's no risk on the coach because if you fail, they've already got your money and you just wind up being a statistic. And I don't want that for anybody on this. So if you guys are new here, I'm going to play a shocking video for you to get you started in wholesaling. So you have to have a certain energy level to do this. And if you don't, so I'm used to doing this at five. It's a little bit later. You guys know I do a later one. So I got to kind of show you what this is This is all about. So guys, you got to have fun wholesaling. Put your comments in there. Let's get it going. Let's do it. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch. Go. Guys, that's the energy level you need for wholesaling. So um, for full disclosure, I'm, I'm a little bit hyper. I like to have fun. Guys, you do not get through 20 years of wholesaling by like being this, here's how we're going to do wholesaling today. I'm going to put you to sleep. So I fully disclose. I'm a little bit ADHD. Um, I'm hyper. I, I like to have a lot of activity. I like things to move fast. Um, I was always told that is my downfall from all my teachers in school, they just didn't get me. And so now we kind of know you don't need to medicate people in ADHD. You need to just teach them a little bit differently. So we all learn differently. And I've learned this over the years is by doing this, this free course with everyone, I get tons of information from you guys back. And the really cool part is you can consume this information at your own pace. You're not going to get hurt financially. For full disclosure, the ones that take the most amount of action and just keep going forward in spite of obstacles, those are the ones that are doing deals. And that's what I want to share with you guys today. We are going to talk about creative financing. It doesn't mean I don't wholesale. It's the opposite. I primarily wholesale. And when I find deals that don't work in my wholesaling operation or I get referrals that don't work in a wholesaling operation, I switch hats and I go to creative financing. Okay. By the way, creative financing has been around for probably a hundred plus years. This isn't something new. Nobody owns the rights to it. Some people do it more than others. Honestly, I'm okay with it. The reality of creative financing is you're just helping sellers solve 
problems. Instead of doing traditional cash transactions, we have a thing called creative financing. So if you guys are new to it, I'm going to put this in. Um, I'm going to go through a basic level and explain it to you. If you have questions, go ahead and put it in the comments. If you guys want to talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, I do this 100% for free. I put a link on the Wholesaling for Houses Real Facebook group. You just click that link and you can get in line. So if you want to get on there, the sooner you click, the more I can guarantee I talk to you because I'm going to be on for a couple hours and we'll go from there. So I want to start out by saying I am not giving you guys legal or accounting advice. You need to go to a sought after professional for that within your state. Um, and just understand that like I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I am a real estate investor that's mastered wholesaling and I'm really good at creative financing. I don't go out and just hunt creative financing because I wait till they fall in my lap and then I see if I can help solve a problem. So you've got to understand with creative financing, you don't need to know how to do everything. And so many of you guys are waiting to be completely educated and make sure everything's taken down for you. And I'm here to tell you, it just doesn't work that way. So if you know that your main objective is to identify opportunities. Okay. And I'm going to walk you through that. So I think the best way to do it, instead of doing 3 million um, pop-up notes and stuff like that is I am going, I am going to use uh my notepad. So you guys know me, my handwriting is not the best. I promise you I'll slow down. And then when I'm done with the presentation, we will do uh, a Q and a, if you want to go on live, go to wholesaling houses for real, make sure you register there. Click the link there. I will show you right before I, I go through the mastermind. You can do that. It's really, really simple. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Let me uh, minimize the screen and put it up here. And we are talking about creative financing. So if you guys have any questions, please put them in there. I will try to answer some of them as we go. Um, and I love this. So I want you guys to understand, I'm not switching to creative. I've always done creative financing. I just, creative financing is a byproduct of what I do, okay? So if you're in your normal wholesaling mode and you're hunting for deals, you're going to find deals that you just can't take down Either the mortgage is too big or the seller does not want to budge. So the reality when it comes to creative, when it comes to real estate deals is I always, people always ask me why, why would someone want to do creative? Well, let's look at this from two sides. Okay. From the seller side. Okay. Most sellers that wind up doing creative financing, there's, there's only a couple of reasons they do it. Number one, <laughs> it's the only way out. I'm going to go into detail and explain this. Okay. You've got to understand that some sellers are in such a predicament in their property Creative financing is really the only solution other than foreclosure, okay? All of you will agree on this live that foreclosure, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. So it's inevitable that someone would look at a subject to a lease option, some sort of owner uh, financing. And I'm telling you, 
my best creative financing deals are because it's really the only option. The, the challenge is how you present it to your seller to let them understand that is the challenge you're dealing with. Okay. The other reason they do that is because they can get their price. Did you know a lot of sellers, their main focus is only on the price. Okay. And the really cool thing about real estate is everything is creative. Okay. So even, even a traditional mortgage is somewhat creative because not everybody, most people can't come up with cash to buy a property. So when we talk about why a seller would sell is say I owned a property for a hundred percent. I have no mortgage. I have no stress to sell it. Say I want $300,000. The property's ready to go. Guess what? If I get this price, I'll sell it. My strategy to that seller is if I know I can't get a discounted wholesaling deal, I'm just going to say, listen, Mr. Seller, what if I could get you that price? And that's how my conversation starts. Now, you can make the creative financing on it as creative as you want, whatever you and the seller agree to it. Why would the seller do that? Number one, they get their price. And number two, they get tax advantages by doing this. Okay. The reality is, you know, in America, nobody wants to pay taxes, but it's inevitable. So anybody who can kick the can down the road, they love to do that. And a lot of people will, people in their nineties, I've seen people in their hundreds go, I don't want to pay the taxes while I'm alive. I'm like, Okay, what if we could have been a deal together that once the day you die, then your uh, state would pay the taxes or something like that? Remember, I'm not a tax consultant. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just giving you ideas to solve problems. A lot of people that have really nice properties and they own them free and clear, their only speculation, their, their only conditions are, I need this price and I want to delay the taxes as long as possible. No big deal. How do we solve it? Creative financing. Okay. And I'm going to walk you through a lot of ways that you can solve all these problems to get that going. Let me, let me pull everything up here for you. So why would a buyer, which is us want to do creative financing? Cause you can do more deals. You can help more people, more sellers, and you really can create a lot of cash flow. Okay. Remember, everything in life is negotiable. I promise you. Okay. When a property is not moving, it's not in high demand. Sellers are open to creative solutions. Okay. So what we're going to do is walk through creative financing from start to finish. And we will go from there. So don't worry. This thing's recorded. So you don't have to like go crazy, like making notes or anything like that. Um, Somebody's asking about, okay, I'm going to answer all these questions as we go through it. So um, number one, I get a lot of people it's like, what's the difference between wholesaling versus creative financing? Okay. So the easiest thing is just kind of walk through, honestly, the pros, there is no cons to creative financing. Okay. The, the problem comes in when you try to force everybody into a wholesaling deal. Now, full disclosure 90% of my deals wind up regular wholesaling because that's what I love to do, okay? I do love creative financing, but I don't just seek out creative financing. As the ulterior, people that specialize in creative financing, they might do 90% creative financing deals, and then they take the byproduct of the wholesaling. There's no difference in how you do it, okay? 
But here's the one thing I'm going to argue on the fundamentals of why you need to understand wholesaling. Wholesaling, in my opinion, is the number one skill set in RE. Why? Think about this. If you can learn how to connect with the seller and get properties at a deep discount period, you can do it over and over and you can really survive in any market. Okay. Now the problem with creative financing, if that's all you want to do, you have to go learn that skill set. A lot of people think that you can replace wholesaling with creative financing. It's not, I will tell you any wholesaler can come over and do creative financing with ease. I'm here to tell you the people that learn how to do creative financing to come over to wholesaling, they typically fail. You know why? Because people tell them you do creative financing because you don't have to fight with wholesalers. But the problem is you skip the most fundamental skill set, which is learning how to negotiate and connect with sellers. And if you learn the fundamentals of that, you can do anything you want in real estate. Okay. So if you're looking, if you're looking at real estate, specifically creative financing, so you don't have to do wholesaling, you're looking at it wrong. Okay. The problem so here's the other advantage with wholesaling. You get cash today. Creative financing down the road. So let me ask you, if you buy five creative financing deals, unless they cash flow from day one, you've got to now go get a job and figure out how to do it. Wholesaling, complete opposite. Okay. So the reason why I like wholesaling so much is you do this cash today and then you have money for down the road. Even if you want to make, so if you got to make a larger down payment and you're going to be negative cash flow up front, if you understand that you can come back and harvest your money in three, five, 10 years down the road. So most creative financing coaching, I'm just like, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you it is sold. So you don't have to compete with wholesalers. It's a super sexy message. But the problem is their success is based on you contracting creative financing deals, which is great. The true measure of success though is make sure you can do this full time and make money at it. If you start out in creative financing, it's a long journey to make money up front. And most people that teach it will be honest with you and tell you that. Okay. Your success can't be just due on a creative financing deal because anybody can do a creative financing deal. The question is, did you make money up front? Do you make money every month? And are you going to make money on the exit plan? That is truly successful creative financing. And that's a skill set that has to be learned over time. It's the truth. Okay. Most people can't go out and get a creative financing deal and make 20, 30 grand up front on it. Okay. The downside of wholesaling is you have to do it day after day. Okay. It is a job. I'm fully telling you this guys. Okay. That's why if you can do a blend of the both, it is the perfect world. Cherry pick the deals where you can do a creative financing deal and you can get paid today. You can get paid later. And I'm going to teach you today. If you can do creative financing where you make money up front, that's how you need to do it, especially in a down market. Okay. A lot of people have done creative financing deals over the last three or four years. We're going to find out if they actually made money because these prices are dropping. Now, price is not always the most important thing in, in creative financing. It always going to come down the cash flow. But at the end, if you overpaid for a property and you got to sell it in three to five years, 
you're going to have a day of reckoning and you want to avoid that in creative financing. So I love wholesaling. I love creative financing. And honestly, anybody who helps you get in the business, I'm fine with that. But please do not bite. Do not take the pill that says creative financing will help you skip to the front of the line so you don't have to deal with all those wholesalers mess. And then you can, you can buy properties at full price to make a ton of money. Guys, do not do creative financing unless you're prepared for it and you can make money from day one. Because I talk to people all the time. I bought three creative financing deals. I go, how much money did you make? No, I paid. I was net 10 to 20 grand out each one of them. I'm like, oh, what are you going to do now? I don't know. And so they come back to me from the creative financing side. So start with wholesaling and then understand creative financing. And when a deal comes up that doesn't work for traditional wholesaling, you will have the know without the wherewithal on how to do the deal. Okay. There are some more complexities with creative financing. I'm going to be upfront with you on it because it's, it's creative, but the mechanics are based on price versus terms. So you guys already know that kind of going up to it. So let's talk about a lot of people ask me to go, Hey Rick is uh, creative financing legal and it's completely legal. Like there's, there's no issues with it. The only ones I try to avoid completely. Uh, and I'll be honest with you is if a seller has a loan modification, you better make sure you review that loan modification because most loan modifications requires the seller to stay in the property as a primary residence. And if you violate that, they could call the note due and uh, it could be problematic. So it could be considered even fraud because they signed an agreement months ago saying they're the primary residence there. And then they're signing a deal with you. You could be liable. Now, I don't have anything to test this out in court, but I don't want you guys to test it out either. So understanding it. The other thing you got to watch for is just called a due on sale clause. Okay. And this is like the big snafu for creative financing. A due on sale clause just means the bank has the ability to call the money due back in the mortgage. So if you took a $200,000 note and say you got behind on payments and wasn't foreclosure, they basically force you to cash it out. That's how a foreclosure works. So, in all the paperwork you sign on a mortgage, if you transfer the title, there's little fine handwriting in it that says, upon sale or transfer of the title, the uh, note can be due or is due. Okay. Now, the reality of the banks calling a note due are slim, probably less than 1%. Can it happen? Absolutely. And it's a risk you take on all creative financing deals. Most of the time, the banks want to get their, their payments. Keep in mind, the banks don't own these properties. They just service them. And unless there's some sort of crazy snap that's going on where someone's not making a payment or there's a lot of complaints to the bank about the property, which usually go unnoticed, then the bank's not going to go out of their way to have a uh, note called. Now, I've never had a note called. Now, there's a big group of people out there. When I started out doing creative financing, you want to put every property in a land trust. The reason why they teach this technique is their theory is that there's case law and there is, I've read it. It says a land trust is you can move any property into a land trust and avoid the due on sale clause. I'm just going to here to tell you the land trust thing creates a lot more complication. And my advice to you is avoid it because it creates confusion. It creates uh, the anonymous factor and it's going to create a lot of problems when you go to sell the property. So you don't have to do that anymore. There's still a big percentage of people still doing it. Land trust are so you can't figure out who the owner is, but I'm going to pro land trust. Do get targeted heavy for a due on sale clause and you do like you're better off just 
avoiding the land trust in my opinion. But um, I'm not here to give you legal advice. I'm just talking to you about the legalities, everything, every, everything. And so that's it. So I'm looking at your questions as they pop up. And um, so the only legality issues I see coming out this is number one, you got to be truthful and disclose everything. Number two, understand the risk of a due on sale clause. It's not the end of the world. It's not due in like a week. Most due on sale clauses will take three to six months to force it on you with a court action. So you have time. How? You can sell the property. You can get it refinanced. You can get hard money. You can get soft money. There's always a way around it. That's why I want you guys to buy properties that make money up front so you don't get caught. Because if you're not making money up front, this can get really expensive quick. So let's talk about the three different types of creative financing. You ready? It's very simple. There's really only three. Okay. So the definition of creative financing is anytime someone buys or transacts on a property, not using a traditional bank. Okay. That's it. That's what qualifies a creative financing deal. So we're going to talk about three specific types. Number one, subject to, okay. And then what I'm going to do is break each one down. So I'm going to go from one to two to three. That way I don't have to like to do this giant spreadsheet or anything else on it. So a subject to, okay. Subject to means exactly what it says. Okay. You're taking over property subject to the existing mortgage. Really simple. So John Smith has a property. Um, he wants $200,000 for it. Okay. He owes $185,000 for it. This property he's owned for um, two years. So how did John get in this situation? Well, he put down very little money. Um, he could have got like a VA loan. He could have got an FHA. Um, it doesn't matter what type of loan it is. I, I don't care about that part. Um, and they had closing costs. So um, I don't know what he, uh, and then basically the value of the house right now, the ARV is 200,000. He owes 185. What's the problem? If he listed with a traditional realtor, he's actually going to owe money. Why? Because of this. Okay. It's 10 to 12% to sell a house. Rick, how do you come up with that number? 6% realtor fees, 3% closing cost, and you can throw in another 3% of miscellaneous um, expenses in negotiation. Okay. So if I did that on this one, 200,000 I mean, you're talking over $20,000. So what's the seller going to do? The problem is he's already moved out of the house. He can't afford the payments. Maybe he had a, a, a reduction in income. Maybe he lost his job and he's talked to realtors. They're like, they can't do anything with them. Really the only solution. Now he can let the property get foreclosed on, but it's going to be painful. It's going to destroy his credit. So what if Rick came along? I'll put this in red. Okay. And I got to tell you what, I'll give you the 200,000 for your house. Okay. No closing cost. I'll take over your existing mortgage, the 185K, take over. So you got to find out if they're behind on payments or not. Hopefully they're not too far behind. A good stress test for these is you really don't want to be more than three payments behind because. It gets expensive quick. And if it winds up in a pre-foreclosure or foreclosure, it's going to eat into the equity of this house. 
I'm not worried about this 200K, okay? I want to look at the payment amounts versus the rents, okay? You also got to find out if they escrow for taxes and insurance and all that fun stuff. And you're looking for a spread. So typically, you want to look at something $400 positive cash flow, okay? So here's where it gets a little bit dicey on this. Rick, how much do I pay someone for a subject to? And to be honest with you, this is the part that is wide open. There is no set number, okay? Now, I've done it for as little as zero, and I've given as much as 150000 for a, a uh, down payment. Well, Rick, how do I justify this? Well, if you think about how we do wholesaling, and everything I teach you here is going to be predicated on wholesaling is, how do you negotiate that number, okay? So right off the bat, you're, you're thinking in your mind that they want 15K, right? Well, that's the equity spread. No, guys, think about this. It's going to cost them 20 to 25 to sell this house. So the reality is they should technically be okay with close to zero, but we have to give incentive for people to go forward with the deal, okay? Normally on this deal, if the house is clean, it doesn't need repairs, I'm willing to give them more money because that's that less much money and time I have to spend on the deal. So most of these people, I'm going to start with about 3K down. Why? The less money you put down, the more options you have with this house, okay? And here's the key is, it's not your money, it's going to be your new buyer's money, okay? But you do not want to give them 15K up front. Number one, you don't have the money. And number two, it's this is very negotiable. What are their options if they don't do the deal with you? What? So let me get the seller. If I give you 3K, save your credit, and take over your payments, would that be something of interest to you? And that's simply how I say it, guys. That's it, okay? What you wind up with is depends on the desire you want for the buyer. It's in a good neighborhood. It's clean, which is what I require in subject twos. I'm not doing more than 10 grand down very rarely, unless it's like a high-end house, like an Airbnb, it's a different. Why? Because my goal is to collect twice as much as I give to the seller to put me in a positive cash flow. So let me explain to you. If I take 3K down, then the minimum I would accept is 6K from my new money. Okay? 3K goes to pay them, and then I pocket 3K. If I give them five grand, I expect to get a minimum of 10 grand. These are minimum numbers. Now, why do I say don't go over 10 grand? Because in most markets, people won't give you more than 20 to 25K up front because it becomes a lot of money, okay? So the most I'll, I'm going to offer 3K and then I'm going to max out at 10K. And that's with a clean home, okay? Now, guys, it's not uncommon if the house needs a lot of repairs that I give very, very little money on it. Okay. You have to have options. If you guys are going to do creative financing, if you had to sell that thing in a month or two, would you make money? And a lot of people, how they structure creative financing, they're planning 10 years down the road. Guys, you don't know what's happening tomorrow sometimes. Okay. Subject twos are valuable. Okay. Where do we find subject twos? Oh, I love this stuff. Subject twos are, they're kind of easy in my opinion. Okay. So you need to look for on a subject two. Here's what we're looking for. Low equity, who buys houses with low equity? They're all end users. They're never, they're very rarely going to be uh, real estate investors. And you're looking for um, 
short-term ownership. And what do I mean by short-term ownership? Ready for this? Less than two years. That's the sweet spot every time. Okay. If anybody bought a house within two years and they only put down three to 5%, they paid down very little, if none of the principal. Okay. And if values have gone flat or upside down, then they, they could be upside down on the property. I don't even care if they're out. Then people, someone's asking me, Rick, what if the property's upside down? Uh, no big deal. Like you just got to make sure you didn't put too much money out and the rehab's not too bad and that the cash flow is there on a monthly basis. This is all subject twos are, guys. Okay. So how do I find a subject two? Okay. The, so if this is your avatar, how do we find them? Okay. Think about where you find a subject to. Typically, FISBOs wind up being subject twos. Why? Because they can't sell it without a realtor. This is a great place to go look for them. Okay. Um, the next one, um, sometimes they put them up for rent. And then good old MLS expired listings, even existing listings works very well. Why? Think about this, guys. Um, if you're looking for nice, pretty houses, they're typically the type of the realtors. Realtors typically struggle selling properties that have little to no equity in it because they don't want to negotiate any of their fees. So if you can put together a win-win situation where they still get paid a commission, that's why you guys got to limit what you give the seller. That's it. Guys, I want every seller, I wish I could give everyone a million dollars. The reality of this business is unless you just want to do creative finance deals just to say I did a deal, You've got to be smart about your money, okay? Especially in this market, you can't be giving twenty dollars and $30,000 uh, deposits, especially if you're brand new. And I know a lot of you guys are saying, well, I just get that money from the new buyer. Here's the problem is new buyers have a limit on how much money they're going to pay. Once you go over twenty k, you're probably going to have to write a check out of your own bank account. And unless you're pre prepared to do that, please do not over-offer on creative financing. Most creative financing I do on subject two I'm usually being hugged and go, thank you. Here's the key is you can't force these deals. They have to be hundred percent on board and they've had to exhausted all other avenues to get to this, which means I'm okay. If they talk to a realtor, if they talk to anybody, you know why it doesn't matter. Okay. This is subject twos, and the paperwork, super simple guys do not complicate this in a traditional purchase and sales agreement. There is a subject to line on it. I'm not going to get in the legalities of title. Talk to your title companies and you want them to issue title and make an exception to the existing mortgage. That's the only way you can get title insurance on these. I know there's other creative ways. I try not to get cute with this stuff. Talk to a title company. Talk to an attorney to get the details on it. Your guy's job is to find the deals and put them together. Okay. So let's talk about the next one. You ready? Okay. This is called lease options. Okay. Lease options is simple. By the way, lease options have been around forever. Nobody invented this. Somebody taught me this a long time ago and everybody's got a million ways. None of them are wrong, but some, there's some bad information out there. But a lease options, if you can't stick to the basics, you understand it. It is a lease and an option agreement. It's two factors. That's it. Okay. So how does this work? What you are, so let's look at how we would find a lease option and this will help explain it, okay? 
lease option people are looking typically to rent these types of houses out. And most of these people rather not deal with the traditional headaches of a tenant. So here's how I find most of my lease options. Okay. Once again, on the MLS expireds and even current listings. These are the properties that just aren't moving. There's no other solution for them and the owner's stuck in their ways. Okay. Also, Fizbo's dynamite. And then last, one of my favorite ways are rents for rents. Okay. These are people that have plenty of equity. They have a decent amount of equity, probably 20 or percent or more equity, typically higher. And they don't want to give it away, but they don't want to rent it out. And they're trying to figure a way to make this work. So here's simply how I do it. On a for rent ad, which is the best, in my opinion, the best way to find lease options, I'm looking for houses that are in good shape and in clean, good neighborhoods that people want to rent. Why? Because they're easier. If you get them ready to go, your life is much easier. Guys, I'm telling you, the creative financing world, the cleaner you get the property, the more options you have. If you have an entire gut job rehab, creative financing is a pain in the butt. It's still doable, but you have very limited options because you got to fund. If you had fifty, sixty thousand dollars of rehab, you have to find a way to fund it. Okay, I'm trying to simplify these where you guys make money. So I'm going to call a for rent ad, and I say, listen, I'm interested in one, two, three USA Street. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? They tell me all about it, and I just start asking, you know, what's the rent? What's the neighborhood like? And then I'm simply going to say, listen, would you be interested in a long-term rental agreement? And just shut up. And typically they go, wow, that would be great because the last renter came in for two or three months and then they broke the toilet and this and that. I'm like, yeah, I get it. And then they'll typically go, what are you thinking? I go, well, what I'd like to do is I would like to rent this house long-term. And then at the end of the term, Whatever time we agree to, I'd like the option to buy it. And I'm happy to pay you for that option. Is that something you're interested in? And just shut up, okay? All I'm trying to do is focus on long-term rental and I have the option to buy at the end. Once I can open those windows, I'm going to go a little bit deeper in the conversation and then we explain what we're doing. And so what I do is I get, I, I control these houses. I'll be your primary tenant meaning I'm responsible for all repairs other than the roof and the foundation. And then at the end, I'll cash you out. You don't get the headaches of a regular renter. I'm responsible. I'm, I will make payments to you. And at the end, hopefully I can cash it out. If not, I give you the house back. You keep the option payment. Is that something you're interested in? And that's it guys. That's all I do it. So at least to, to make this simple is just a rental agreement. Okay. I like to do it for five years because the longer you get, the better off you do it. And then we pay um, market rate. Might leave a deposit, whatever you, the option is I'm going to figure out a price. You're typically going to make them a price that makes them very happy because you're going to get a premium above it. So the option is for market price. Okay. And you're going to pay a fee for this. So most of the time, I put up a $1,000 option for a, a, um, uh, before a, a predetermined price. 
Now, I don't lose sight. I could care less what I give them to them because I'm going to mark this up probably 10 to 15% to my end buyer. Okay? So you don't want to make it so high that where you can't make a profit on the end. And then here's the really, uh, the, the cool part on it is that $1,000 gives you the right to buy the house within 60 months. Then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to get an a end buyer on it. Okay. They're going to give me a chunk of money up front, which is the really cool part. So typically I'm going to take anywhere from five to 10 K. Okay. These are smaller amounts. I'm going to make three to 500 a month in cash flow. And then my exit price is going to be a 10 to 15% premium over my um, option price. Guys, I do this all the time. Now, I'm trying to look at questions why I do this. Um, so let me pull up a couple while I'm doing this. Okay. So Lucas, hey, what do I do about DTI? Good question. Okay. DTI stands to debt to income ratio. You guys need to get familiar with this term because in the loan origination field, this is everything, okay? And all it is is a math problem and it figures out how much you owe per month in debt and how much income you got. And if it exceeds a certain number, you don't qualify, okay? AKA, if you have high credit card bills, if you, if you have ridiculous bills you owe then, and you have low income, you're not gonna qualify for these loans. So the debt to income ratio is, number one, it's important for your new buyers um, that's why you have them work with a local mortgage broker to make sure they're qualified. I'm not getting into the weeds on it, but Luca, you're probably talking about the sellers. Okay. So the sellers eventually want to buy another property to do something, but they have all this debt in their name. Okay. Just so you guys know, creative financing, especially on a subject two, it stays in their name. There's no way around it until you cash the mortgage out. There's reasons we can't cash the mortgage out because of the predicament they're in. So to fix their debt to income ratio, to get another property, you can actually use your agreement, okay? You can actually write up a rental agreement for a subject to, and then you can hand that to the mortgage broker and the income from that property will offset the DTI. Now, it typically takes one to two years seasoning of this. That's just the truth. Most people won't tell you that. And then they'll offset 70% of that, okay? They're gonna factor in uh, vacancy and stuff like that. And that will usually qualify that person because in the bank's eyes, that property they sold to you subject to lease option, they qualify it as rental income. And so that will qualify um, the DTI. So a good question here. Steve asks, hey, Rick, um, can you wholesale create a finance deal? Absolutely. It's like, it's one of the greatest parts of it. The best way to wholesale it is make sure you're not in over your head and you didn't commit to a huge down payment to your seller because that is going to be your challenge. Okay. So if you decide to give a seller 30 K on a subject two, that means not only do you have to raise the 30 K you have to like raise it above what your fee is on that. And then keep in mind, the numbers still have to work. So the higher you guys give a down payment, the more you're going to be pressured in getting um, the right type of buyer for it. That's why I like to cash all my creative financing deals for the most part, the ones I'm doing for profit. I'm making cash flow from day one. I just don't negotiate on this, guys, because I was here in 07, 08. I had a bunch of creative financing. Guess what? I had to give a bunch of them back 
You know how painful that is? Here's how you prevent that. Don't overcommit. I know it's creative financing and you don't have to get bank approval, but at the end of the day, you're still responsible to live up to your end of the bargain. And remember, we always talk about doing what we say. You can say it, but like if the market puts you in such a hole and the values drop on that property is the only way you can do what you say is you're going to have to write a check out of your bank account. And I don't want anybody to get stuck on that. So Alex says here, so I'm not going to get into the wraps and the details because I, I, it'll be a two hour and I won't be able to talk to anybody. Okay. Um, if you just do a, a subject two, it doesn't help with the DTI issue. It does. Okay. You just have to produce an agreement for the bank or the mortgage broker to offset, use that income to offset the debt. So if you want more details, guys, talk to your mortgage brokers. I tell you, you should have a mortgage broker in your back pocket and spend a lot of time with them and they'll educate you on like the whole thing. So guys, lease options, they work well. Like there's some people just rather do it this way for full disclosure, lease options, not my preferred method. I much rather do a subject to or an owner financing. And so while we're at it, we are now going to walk into owner financing because honestly, this to me is like the real sweet spot. I love subject to, but sometimes I can't make all subject twos work because the people committed to too much debt. And the last thing you want to do, if they overcommitted, you can't double overcommit on them because somebody said you need to do a creative financing deal. It's got to make sense. You got to make money up front by leaving the least amount of money as possible. Number two, you don't want a lot of rehab on the property because that's money that you have to put towards the deal. And number three, eventually you got to sell the property and you got to make some money. And if, um, so like back in 06, I bought a lot of property subject to at the peak of the market. You guys see the similarities. And then the rents went way backwards. Values dropped almost 40% in my area. And I'm stuck with properties that were bleeding every day. So I had to have painful conversations and I don't want you guys to get in that position. I've experienced it. You can have bad days in creative financing. I don't know why anybody ever talks about this. The problem is you can agree to whatever rules you want. Eventually you have to make the stuff come true. So if you go to sell the property a year or two and values are back 20% and you're committed to more than that, how are you going to solve the problem? You can't, you got to be honest and unwind it. Or if you want to write a check, which I don't recommend doing it, someone's going to get um, hammered. Um, these are really good questions. Keep them coming because I'm going to answer them. Uh, Sharon says, what if they claim bankruptcy during that period? It is challenging. And I'm telling you right now, you need 100% cooperation from anyone doing a creative financing deal because a bankruptcy can screw stuff up. There's ways to protect yourself. But you need to know, you need to talk to them before they file bankruptcy, okay? You do have that risk. Once again, if you minimize how much cash you put up up front, you will mitigate the damage. Occasionally, somebody will file bankruptcy on you. That is a valid risk, and there's not much you can do it. But the reality is, if the note gets paid and the cash flow stays, you can survive the bankruptcy. Here's what you need. You need the cooperation of that seller to survive it. So you have to have someone 100% cooperative. I recently was working on a deal and the seller got so uncooperative, I just walked away. Because if they're being this difficult in the first week, I can't imagine in two or three years. And it actually worked out um, in the favor. So let's talk about owner financing. And then that'll give us an hour to talk to you guys. Um, so if you want to hop on, 
I got plenty of people in queue there. I want to help you guys out and then we'll chat. So owner financing. So this is typically going to be a high equity owner, which means they're in more advanced. And when I say advanced, that's not always a compliment. It just means their expectations are much, much higher. Like I'm not taking, so they typically never negotiate on price. Okay. And they are typically a long-term owner, um, usually five years plus. Okay. That is going to be the avatar for a owner financing. Now, keep in mind, they typically own these properties free and clear. And they are usually stuck on price. Now, if you know that going into it, then that is the advantage that you can use against them because all they want is price. So if you understand how creative financing works, the basics is if I give you price, you got to give me terms. Okay. You can never get both. If you do, you're amazing. And please share the deal with me. But you're, you're giving them. So in real estate, this is how it always works. Okay. 20 years plus. If I give you something, you got to give me something in return. So if I give you the price and I know I'm kind of overpaying for it, in return, you give me terms. Here's the really cool part. The terms are highly negotiable. So, so many people when they do like owner financing is talk about the terms. Get out of your head and stop thinking about what they want. Okay. They're going to want a down payment. You guys know how I feel about skin in the game. Okay, so they typically want a down payment. And most of them want a sizable chunk. Okay, but most of these down payments are between five and 20K. You guys know how I feel about it. Try to stay on the lower side of it. Okay, then they're going to want a monthly. Okay, so here's the tricky part. So many of you guys think you need to go to an amortization schedule. You don't. Let me give you an example. I recently bought a property where I gave the guy $1,000. I swear $1,000. And I negotiated a monthly payment. Okay. Now, since I was giving him less, he wanted a little bit more per month. Okay. Do you see the give and take there? This is how it works. So because I gave him less, I gave him a little bit more than what I would normally give on a monthly rate. So the monthly going rate in that neighborhood was around $1,200. So I was giving him like $1,100 a month. In exchange, I was getting $1,700 a month in rentals. So I took advantage because I gave him less up front, but who's paying the monthly? That's it. My end user is going to pay that. So if you guys can use that strategy, you can do all sorts of stuff. Or you can give $10K and then maybe you can cut that payment down to six or $700. Here's the really cool part. You guys think I gave $1,100 based on an amortization schedule. I didn't, okay? The $1,100 I'm giving him goes 100% towards principal. And basically, I scheduled it over 10 years till the entire property is paid off. And then I owe like a $30,000 balloon. And that's it. Stop thinking like a regular banker. Be creative with your terms. Right now, I'm getting a lot of 0%. Uh, you can do 0% because who owns the note? The owner of the property does. His protection is he's not going to give you the deed until you square him up, he or she. A lot of she's out there, so I don't mean to pick on it. And 
everything's negotiable on owner finance. Everything. It's like, stop being stuck to, I need to do an amortization schedule. Come up with a number with an agreement. I recently bought a little tiny mobile home and I agreed to pay $300 a month. I'm renting it for $1,200 and the $300 is basically going to 10 years of payment, 100% the principal. This is how I make my offers. Now, I do have deals where I have to do an amortization schedule, but you're not stuck to it. So if you're stuck to an amortization schedule, let me give you a little clue. Change 30 years to 40 years or even to 50 years. You can play with the numbers all day long and stop worrying about the interest rate. I don't care about interest rates. I care, but I don't. I care about cash flow. End of story. Okay. So on owner financing, how do I find these deals? Simply, I MLS is probably one of the best ones because those were people that are stuck on price, but they can't move them, but they own them free and clear. I'm also going to look at rents. And I'm also going to look at FISBOS. Okay. But I will focus on realtor marketing. Okay. Because realtors know tons of people like this. Guys, I like nice, pretty properties. Creative financing, you are going to have to involve more realtors than you do in wholesaling. It's just how it works because the better the property is, the more desirable it is. And you usually have to go through a realtor to get through it. Now, if you're asking me, Rick, how do I pay a realtor in this thing? It's just, it's gotta be common sense. I like to cash a realtor out up front. Don't ever tie them into the monthly cash flow or the in cash flow because they won't be around for it. So it's not 6%. It's not 3%. The most I ever typically pay a realtor is one to one and a half percent of the deal. Okay. And then a lot of times on like, if it's like I had to give the seller a big chunk of money, I will do payments to the realtor over three months and let the cash flow of the property pay for itself. So um, let me see what else I had on my notes here for you guys. Um, Cause I want to talk to everybody. So let's do the last little thing. Let's talk about conversion on creative financing. We'll just call it CF for short. Okay. I want you to understand this. For those of you who think you need to know everything about creative financing, you're, you're, you're going to get killed, okay? The most important thing in the beginning is understand, A, how to identify them, and B, how do I have a conversation with them to see if this is a possibility, okay? I'm never opposed with you guys pairing up someone with your local market to help you get through this. Just make sure you have somebody reputable. How do you do that? Go to your local RIAs, network with people, use Facebook groups. They're all out there, Okay. There's, there's plenty of pay-for-play mentors, but the reality is now you're going down the course, the course part of this business, and you know how I feel about that. And the reality is if you can find somebody local, it's better because every state has different laws. And once again, make sure you review with your local real estate lawyer the legalities of doing creative financing, <clears throat> particularly subject to, and making sure that you're allowed to legally do it without breaking some sort of like local statute. So it's always changing. So please guys, make sure you check on that. I have to check in all the States I do, and I'm not an expert on that stuff. So we talk about conversion. So conversions always come down to conversations. Okay. So the easiest way when creative financing is walk down all paths. What do I mean by that? Have you tried listing the property? Have you tried borrowing money for the property? 
The reason you want to do that is you want to exhaust every one of these paths because a truly good creative financing deal, especially subject to you have to be the only solution to make it a true win-win situation. It's not like wholesaling. Like you can talk people in the wholesaling, but for the most part, the deal has to work and you have to be confident. But in creative financing is if you don't address like the realtor, they might do it after you do a deal with them and it's going to create a lot of problems for you. So you want to exhaust all avenues to lead you to the path of victory. Okay. So number one, go ahead and get the elephant out of the room and talk about it. This is the opposite of kind of how we do it in wholesaling. But in wholesaling, I kind of tell you guys to do the same too. If they need a realtor, you're most likely not going to be in a position to buy it wholesale. So walk them down that path. Number two, go from a place of helping your sellers. How do I do that, Rick? Real simple. If you simply start your conversation, I go, listen, I want to help you get your house sold. I know I can't buy it with my traditional wholesaling because you owe too much. Let's see how we can help you get the house sold. Simply a conversation like that will explode your conversion because you know they're truly trying to help people. Guys, you know how many people that I don't actually make one dime and I still help them sell their house? Why? Because it opens more doors for more opportunities. And who doesn't want to help people? You are not going to profit from everybody. And don't be that guy or girl who goes, oh, I can't make money if you're walking away. Help them out. You'd be surprised the amount of referrals and all the other business you'll get on it. It works really well. So you have to help your sellers. How do I do that? Let me, let me see how we can help you out. Let me look at every avenue we can do it. Okay. And then once they find out there's no other way for them to get this deal accomplished, then you provide them solutions. Number one, every creative financing deal I do in my head and I present to them. I don't even go through the paperwork till we have some sort of verbal agreement. What's the point? Okay. Your worst case scenario, guys, you're going to overthink this. I'm telling you, if you can't take it down traditional wholesaling, talk to them, get a conversation with them going, and just see how you can help them. Walk them through all the past, see how you can help them. And then you have enough education with this video and all the other ones I teach over for you guys. You go to freewholesaling.com. I have a whole thing on this. And you have enough ammunition to set up basically a verbal deal, meaning you, you have enough to go, Hey, I can do a subject too. The reality is you just got to negotiate the upfront down payment. And here's the biggest thing that you guys got to understand it. It's all negotiable. The only number like that you think you have to overcome is the one in your head. So in that example, I told you the properties, ARVs, 200,000, the guy owes 185. Every one of you think you have to give them 15 grand. It's not, it's whatever you agree on. He agrees or she agrees if they go to sell it traditionally, they have to bring a check to the table. So think about you. If you have that, that pre-conversation like that, even if you give them a thousand or two thousand dollars, you're the hero. So what you want to do is be the hero in creative financing because nobody else, the realtors wouldn't help them, the wholesalers wouldn't help them. So because we're wholesalers, I'm giving you the back door to help everybody. I think if everybody starts out from the wholesaling position, meaning I make cash today, I understand this is a job today. It's a highly paid skill set job, and it's going to lead to tons of creative financing opportunities. As you get more mature and you understand, you learn how to do all the paperwork, you can easily take down these creative financing deals. They're really not complicated. The biggest complication is going to be you. I guarantee you, just simplify it. Help people out. 
identify, can I do a subject two? Because subject twos, basically, they only qualify in one way, typically low equity, um, short-term ownerships. A lease option is one that could be an owner financing, but a lease option works. Those people are focused on like rental and price. And then owner financing, someone that's just free and clear, owned it a long time, high equity, and they only want their price and they want to minimize their risk. And they typically want tax advantages. And that's all you have to understand in creative. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you today. When I get a complicated creative financing, I go find people to help me out. Like I do some complicated commercial stuff. I don't even know how to take it down sometimes, but I go find the right lawyers, accountants, um, consultants to help me take it down. I don't mind giving up a little bit of money to help me take it down. I want you to understand you can do the same thing. You don't have to like go. The money is in the opportunity. If you find one of these deals, hook, call me JV with Rick. I have a link in there. Let's do something together, but I want to make money from day one because that's how you really build momentum. So, um, let's see here. Okay. Okay. Let's get to uh phone conversations on, on that. Let me take this off the board here and I can see my screen a little bit better and Oh, Kiki, I don't see you in, in uh, line unless uh, you're under a different name. So I'm not sure. So um, let me take some questions here. And guys, I love creative financing. I just thought the, the only challenge is if you, if you decide to do creative financing because you think you're going to avoid the complications of wholesaling, you've just created yourself a whole nother problem because the pitfalls with creative financing is if you don't understand how to do it and you take it down and you keep giving people large chunks of money, like when are you going to make money? So um, a lot of people in the last four or five years, you were trying to incentivize people to do it by huge down payments. And I hope you bought it right because there's going to be challenges coming up. So, okay. So this, this is a good one now. Now we got really good questions. So Rick, do you recommend a friendly um, creative financing title in the Central Coast Cali? Now, I'm here to tell you, the word friendly creative financing title company is going to be an anomaly, meaning there ain't going to be a lot of them, okay? You got to understand, title company's main job is what? To sell title insurance, okay? They make, on average, 50 to 60% of a title policy. So an example... On a $2,000 title policy, they'll keep approximately eleven dollars to $1,200 of it. Not a bad deal, right? A lot of you guys think they make money off of the transaction fees and stuff. Most of the fees they charge covers their overhead. They have employees. They have insurance. They have rent. Um, it's a pain in the butt. So they actually, their profit margin is going to be on title insurance. The key to title insurance is to make sure there's no claim. So they underwrite them to minimize any of the risk, Okay. A creative financing, I'm going to be honest with you, there is risk involved in the transaction. There's a due on sale clause. Um, there can be a bankruptcy. There can be all sorts of things. And for that reason, you're going to find a lot of the creative financing deals, a lot of people do what they call a tabletop um, underwriting on it, meaning they pull up the title, they see if there's any liens on it. You can do it yourself. You can hire people to do this. I'm not here to give you legal advice on it. Predominantly, most title companies will not write a policy on a subject to. Now, 
Owner financing, they'll write it all day long. That because that, that that's easy because it's easy to insure. A lease option, you don't really get title insurance because it's a tabletop closing. Okay. So the advantage of some of these is that like there's very minimal closing costs. Now you can get a title company to issue a title policy. Typically, they want to write an exception to the existing mortgage for obvious reasons. But here's how I look at it, guys. If I can look at all the liens and have someone that's smarter than me go, yeah, this is all correct. This is a current. And I'm putting a little to no money down payment. I'm okay not getting a title policy. That's for me. I'm not instructing you guys. You have to decide. Just be careful asking for a creative finance friendly title company because they don't really exist. There are ones that will help you because most of them can't sell the title policy and the owners, they're in business to sell title policies. So um, be open to pay them a, a fee to run the title and help you do the paperwork. Maybe a couple hundred bucks or do something like that. Or there's people that can do this nationally for you. Um, just understanding like the title policy is problematic when you come to some of these creative financing deals. So um, really good questions, man. Okay, so um, let's see here. Uh, so people are used to the five o'clock. This will be on replay, so you don't have to worry about that. So you're, you're covered there. Um, let's see what else we have here. See, I'm seeing people normally I see at night. And there's bright daylight behind them. So that's exciting, right? You got, you know who I'm talking about. So, um, so uh, Chris asks, do we have formulas for MAAs from the one to 25 for creative financing? I mean, here's the wild part, guys. Here's your formula. Whatever your seller will tolerate. There is no formula. That's the beauty of creative financing. And here's where you can get in trouble in creative financing because you use your own imagination. And if you don't have experience doing it, you don't know like if it works or not, sometimes there's unique properties like waterfront properties, like in Florida that we have to reach and go to the maximum limit. And then there's properties. I'm not sure if I even want to take those are the ones I leave like zero, almost nothing or a thousand dollars. So it's up to your level of risk, but the reality is it it's underwritten on the deal and it's up to you on how you want to take the deal down. So your MAO for creative financing, you have to use a common sense approach. So whenever I lay money out on a creative financing, here's your MAO sheet. Number one, is the property in a good neighborhood and is it ready to rent, meaning it needs little to no repairs? Number two, are they up to date on their payments? Remember, if they're behind on payments, say they had a $2,000 a month payment, they're behind three months, that's $6,000 you're going to have to make up. That's going to come out of your equation, okay? And you have to factor that in there. So when you leave the money out, the least you leave, the more options you have. If you commit to a $30,000 downstroke and you can only get 10 or 15 in your area, you're either going to have to cancel the deal or you're going to have to come up with like 15 grand out of your pocket. I don't think that's a great formula for you. Okay. So the MAO on it is what you and your seller is tolerable with. Okay. If it's a good property, I'm willing to go up because I know it's going to be easy to sell. If they need a lot of repairs, and they're behind multiple months on payments, you can't give a ton of money because you have risk in the deal. So remember, most of you are starting out on very limited budgets, okay? I'm talking from the grassroots wholesaling. 
you don't have big bank rolls behind you. Okay. If you have someone willing to fund you hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, you want to take this risk, go for it. It's not the response. You need experience to do that. So your first few deals you want to do, you want to make cash flow from day one. End of story. It's so important. So Carlos asked, hey, Rick, what do you do when a property has equity, but it's going into foreclosure soon? Well, you just got to, you got to talk to the seller. You got to get all the details, run the numbers and see what's going to be a good fit. Sometimes these deals wind up being really good creative financing deals because if they're not too far behind on payments, you can make up the payments and get them going. And most of these people will take a little to no money. But remember, the longer the wait, the more the equity gets eaten up. So I always approach from a wholesaling perspective. And then if I can't take it down, if it qualifies for creative financing, I would take that route with it. But remember, just go from the point of how can I help the seller out and just explore every option and walk them through it. Um, I, these comments are really good because I've never seen them before. Um, not many lawyers know about sub two either. I'm having a difficult time looking for lawyers to write me a California legal standard contract. So the good part is um, most contracts, most regular contracts will cover creative finance. It's not complicated. Remember, the only part that's negotiable is the financing part. So the traditional purchase and sales agreement will work for most of these, meaning it's enough to get the ball rolling. Okay. So your state accepted contract um, for a purchase sale agreement has a line item in there for a subject to, or it's a, we'll say existing mortgage. Did you know the HUD one? which is the federally accepted way to um, close a property has a section in there for an existing mortgage. So if the federal government's okay and the state realtors association and the state lawyers association is okay with it, then it's okay for you guys. So stop relying on lawyers to write you a contract because they want to protect against any type of risk and there's no way to completely alleviate it. So, if you want, you could write a simple letter of intent to just say, hey, this is what I want to do. Let me know if you agree on it. And then you can take that and go to your local title company. You can work with an attorney or honestly, the paperwork's not that hard, guys. It's because the only thing additional you added to the contract is your terms of financing. And you can add that in a separate addendum and spell out the financing. Okay. So don't try to overcomplicate it. Remember a lease option. They're two separate agreements to begin with. So that's solved. A subject to, you're just taking over the existing mortgage. And then an owner financing, you just have to spell out all the terms on the back of the purchase and sales agreement on an addendum. It's that simple. The paperwork's simple. So don't let a lawyer try to fool you into any of that stuff. So by the way, I'm not a lawyer. So make sure you make sure you check with your local uh, real estate lawyer to make sure you're not breaking any laws. That's, that's my disclaimer. So, um, so, dude, I like the swordfish. By the way, I, I do sword fishing. So if you ever want to talk about swordfish, we can have a deeper conversation. Rick's a little bit more flexible in choosing your market for creative financing versus wholesaling, choosing markets. Yeah, you can. But like, I want you guys to be core wholesalers and take byproduct for um, creative financing. I'm here to tell you guys, if you put in a virtual market for creative financing and you pull low equity and short-term ownership, you, you're not even going to be able to get to all the leads. It's going to be outrageous. I've tried this before. It's unbelievable the amount of leads you get. I'm not talking about five or tick. I'm talking about hundreds. You guys, 
a big majority of the population buys property with little to no equity in a, in a uh, house. Okay. And the minute the market turns upside down, they're wide open to like uh, creative terms. So just be careful what you wish for. I've done this tactic and literally had six or 700 leads to the point we couldn't even manage them. Why? Because they're looking for alternatives to get their houses sold. So um, I would just do it within your wholesaling business. That way you can get properties that generate today and then you can help with properties that generate towards tomorrow. But if you do create a financing right, you should be able to make money up front. That's why you guys should be taught. This put twenty, thirty thousand dollars and figure it out later is is absolutely reckless. It's dangerous. So, um, okay. So let's jump on here. Come on. Yes. What's going on, man? Hey, what's going on? I see a cat what's tower going? behind you. Yes. <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm familiar with cats. We have a oh, cat man. in our house, and uh, we're going on two years. And my wife surprised me with a uh, with a dog that was for her. When I came back from an army training, the cat's the only one that I've ever really liked. He's he's my buddy. So uh, how, how are you? you surprised with it, man. Good. So are you are you in the army right now? I am. I'm actually looking to get out here pretty soon. I've been in okay. for about six years. This is my beautiful transition to have. Um, you know, finances are great, but I'm really after freedom of time. Awesome. So I want to thank you for your service, and it's Veterans Day. So so everybody give Christopher a, a huge high five. Whatever. Without people like Christopher, I could not enjoy what I do. So I, I, I truly mean it from the bottom of my heart. I already tell everybody, my only regret is I didn't serve in the military when I was young. I just didn't have a lot of direction and I had to learn the hard way. So you're in the perfect opportunity because you, you, your finances seem like they're somewhat straight. You got a good head on your shoulders and God knows the military gave you the discipline muscle. And if you can use those traits in wholesaling. Yes. Some of the best people I've taught wholesaling, they have a military background just because like you guys understand where there's a will away, we're going to get it done. So like use your skill sets you, you have. And the biggest problem in wholesaling, to be honest with you, is like people's lack of discipline. I just tell everybody how it is 100%. because it's like because people want everybody wants to resolve, but nobody wants like most people don't. It's hard work, man. So right. like you get it in the military, you see stuff take years. Um but I always tell people a year goes by really fast. So what can I help you out with? What's going on, man? Uh, so I'm in a really unique position. And first off, I want to say thank you to you and Zach. You guys are really creating a legacy. I've done about $20,000 in wholesale fees. Okay. Realistically 30 because my first one was a joint venture this year. I started learning about wholesaling through watching, you know, the TikTok gurus around this time last year. And okay. then I found you and Zach and that just, you know, I've been doing this as I was stationed in Puerto Rico and then uh -huh. coming back to the United States for a um, compassionate reassignment to help take care of my mother's health. health. Uh, by the way, thank you for that that quick note of appreciation. Realistically, it, it means so much to me and anybody else who serves. Um, you know, man, we're just people who've worked, you know, a profession just like anybody else. But it's always nice to know that that there is value and that people do appreciate the sacrifices that we that we go through. Um, so thank you for, for that quick acknowledgement. Yeah, no problem. It does mean a lot. Um, so I'm in a unique position and, and here's why I have a wholesale company and I have a realtor who has a realtor company in my back pocket. So okay. I have access to the MLS 
and everything else like that. I have access to financing because he's also a bit of a mentor for me. And okay. so, you know, how do I, how do I capitalize on that? Um, and then also when find, I, I really appreciate you talking about, you know, what, what the MIAO is with these creative financing deals. And actually, if I had one question, it would be this one. So perfect okay. example, I went out on an acquisitions appointment last night, wholesale fee did, or wholesale number did just not make sense for them. Okay. Uh, they want to relocate due to mother's health. So there's some, uh, there's some motivation there. Um, super nice people. They're like, Hey, you know, I am seeing like two forty something is what we're going to get for this house and running over the ARVs. It looks like it would make sense. Now, my question was when we talked about doing that, that markup to the 10 to 15% uh, for the end buyer, is that on the total principle of what we're going to pay them, right? That 249 or is that us saying, okay, we'll pay you the 249 over this course of time. And um, when we turn around and sell it, it's going to be 275 uh, because the oh, only reason yeah. why I ask that is there, it's, it seems risky to me just where we're at in our market, right? Correct. So here's what nobody wants to talk about in creative financing. Everyone's a genius when the market's like shooting up. Okay. I see your cat behind you. It's cute. Yeah. <laughs> my my cat has the same thing. It will literally. So I, I bring the cat to the studio here because I actually enjoy it. Don't tell my daughter. And like she'll sit in a chair asleep. And the minute I start talking or turn on like the music when I do my pump up song, yeah. she just starts working her way up. And I actually had two videos where I had to just like put her on the desk because she couldn't That's stop funny. it. So, but uh, it's so funny. Um, anyways, like creative financing, like anybody can do it. But at some point, you are correct. You have to reckon the, the deal. Like I've been in this, dude. I, I bought properties at the peak of the market. And guys, I got hammered, man. And no, I never forecasted that. Um, I struggled with insurance. We had multiple hurricanes. We had three hurricanes in a uh, in a one year period. Property taxes shot through the roof because I switched the deed, and so it triggered like a max. Like, and I didn't factor that one in. Wow. And then we basically had a fifty percent reduction in rents, and basically a sixty percent reduction and retail price for property. So guys, I've been through the worst storm in, in a hundred year period. And I got, I didn't get killed. You know what I did? It was so bad. I just called up the owner. I go, listen, I got one or two things you can do. I can't afford to keep making the payments on this. And I've already put five grand in the house. I collected this. I'm just going to deed the house back to you. Okay. If not, she's okay. Um, <laughs> I just have to walk away from the deal or they're going to foreclose on the house. Okay. Right. And we sat, I sat with the owner and we just worked out what was going to um, work out for both of us. And I didn't make any money. Like I got my butt kicked and I, I think I lost about $25,000 because someone taught me just do creative financing, do it, do it, do it. Right. Well, I didn't realize that the markets could adjust like this. And the problem is you have to always look at creative financing at the end solution of, to make money. So number one, first of all, you're right on the upfront payment. It's highly negotiable. And most of you guys have a roadblock in your head due to the math problem. Once you do creative financing, anything's negotiable. The more crap that comes with the house, the more, the less they have to get. That's just, it's just, it's negotiating one one Okay. I like to buy the houses that are ready to go. 
So in this case, you said the house is worth what? 240K right now? Right. Okay. Yes. And so do they have an existing mortgage on it? They do. They bought okay. it back in. They bought it back for about 130 back in 2019, 18, I believe. Uh, right before the Treasure Valley, right? Idaho, is, their market has just been wild. It, yeah. it, it is very unique. So, or at least it feels unique. My my experience is limited for sure. So they did that and then they pumped a bunch of money into the house. And so I've been presenting options like, okay, you guys can finish your renovations and have it ready to go. And yeah. we can do something like this, or, you know, you guys can just go now and it's going to be at a way deeper discount. Yes. Love. Yeah. Yes. You can go put on your costume. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how much work do they have left to do to the house? It's just basically paint. They have to do like a shower wall, but just okay. slap and tack and some paint and some trim, nothing too crazy. A bunch okay. of finished work pretty much. Okay. So the ARV is two forty right now, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd say like $15,000 in, you know, if you were going to subcontract it out, realistically, it's something that, you know, someone with a, a okay. moderate construction background like myself. Okay. Go so guys, the, the biggest thing you got to ask you is when you do creative financing is, you know, at, why are they selling it? Like, where are they going? Uh, they're going to go to Idaho Falls. So it's about, I want to say eight hours up north okay. for their family's health. And are they going to buy another property or? They're going to stay with family. And okay. then they're going to buy another property. I okay. really appreciated the person who asked uh, that DTI question, right? Yeah, and it, it's it. By the way, it's not super easy. And typically, like banks, the commercial properties, it's much worse. I they want to see a steady history of like payments, just mm-hmm. like if you were going to qualify for like a lease on like a high end apartment, they want to see like two years of steady rental payments. Right. Banks do the same thing to us. So the seller's got to be okay, like two years. Like, you got to give me two years. That's good to know. You got to do it. And you're going to have to lead that charge and help them out. They're never going to figure it out on their own. So it's it's not easy. And then you got the key is you want to work with a mortgage broker. You guys want to work with a mortgage broker, not a big bank. Big banks are nasty about it. Right. A mortgage broker knows how to wrap the package together and present it to the right lenders. A bank nice. has one set of rules. And if you don't that down. like, do you guys know bank America is one of the hardest peoples to get a mortgage with? They're brutal. They're terrible. So, um, so two forty, and how much do they owe on the property? Yes, baby. We'll get hot chocolate in a few. Daddy's on the phone. Love you so much. <laughs> so how much do they owe on the property? Um, they, I, that that number is slipping my mind right now. Um, I almost okay. don't know if I got that. Then I may have pulled a rookie move there. I want to say they owe. I don't know. I, so if I'm going to take a guess on the interest rates with four percent and then them owning it for about four years, I'm going to say that they roughly owe maybe around. Let's see. Well, they're only going to be paying. You don't get an exact number, but it yeah, I, my my guess is going to be probably around a hundred a hundred thousand. Okay. So the, the challenge on like these types of deals is they have equity in the property right? and they, they, they just, they can't get to the point of a wholesale deal. But like, here's the problem is a lot of people want to walk away with their equity. And this is the challenge you're going to have on a subject too, specifically okay. on this. Okay. Kinson, thank you. I love you. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so the okay. subject two is challenging on this because a three to $5,000 down payment is not very attractive to them. Like, think about it. Like, right. No, it's not. It's not going to um, pass the snuff test. So, um, 
you can do a lease option. You can even do like a uh, owner financing thing. But like, here's the thing you got to understand because if like they're not, they don't want to do it. Like you can't make them do it. Right. And I always tell people like, Hey, we're not in the business of twisting arms. Um, I really love what you and, and Zach put out with, you know, like, and I tell my team this, right. Cause I have like two people who work with me on acquisitions and I always tell them like, look, there are people out there that need us. We just have to yeah. find them. It's not yeah. every deal isn't worth squeezing every bit of juice out of it. You know, yeah. everybody can have, can be happy. I, I think one of the things that Zach said was like an abundance mindset and these gurus are in a scarcity set. All right. I, I love that. Um, yeah. And with that, you know, I just want to provide these people value and make sure that I'm that I am presenting something to them. So when I ran the numbers for a possible creative finance option, this was my idea. Hey, we can come in and if the repairs are made and it's turnkey ready, rent is going to be around a thousand four hundred is my guess. So okay. what we can do is we can give you 10K for you to move and um, and when we give you 10K for you to move, we'll immediately get a renter into the property. And that 10K comes off the principle of the 249 that we're going to pay for the property over time. Don't use the word renter. You're going to freak them out. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to get uh, one of my qualified buyers. That's right. What you want to one use. of my qualified buyers. Because renters sound like they're going to trash it, like right they off the do. bat. They do. They do. That is absolutely <laughs> true. So okay. we're going to get 10K. one of my qualified buyers in here, and we are going to pay you anywhere between you know 800 to 1K a month. That's going to come off the principle. And then in three to five years, we're going to refinance and pay the full. And so my idea is that even in a market that's going to take a downturn, that we yeah. could still turn that property for 250K um, because we're affording someone an opportunity that they don't have in a traditional market, whatever the reason that is for their, yeah. for their credit that they can't get a traditional loan. So my idea is that, you know, we come in, we collect five to 10K by moving a qualified buyer in there to offset the money that we've paid. Then we collect about three hundred to four hundred dollars to five hundred dollars in passive income each month. That kind of just mm -hmm. gets saved to put on that property if the water heater goes out or whatever. Yeah. And then at the end, in three years, um, if there's no, if we're not paying the seller interest, then we can turn around and collect thirty k. Um, you know, a little bit over thirty k. Right. When we go yeah. ahead and refinance that property and sell it and give them their the remainder of what we owe off that 249, 240 that we agreed upon. Is so, that like the right mindset? Yeah, it, it is. You just, you have to simplify your offer. Like right. so many of you guys want to go deep in the weeds on the paperwork. And it's simple as this, Lexan, what if I give you 10 grand up? I give you a purchase price of 250. You finish everything in the house because you know it better than anyone. And I right. just, you always compliment them on like, you know right. better than I do. Okay. The first step of sales is agreement, right? Uh, number two is uh, we'll give you 10 grand down. Okay. So their advantage is they're not paying uh, the 10 to 12%. It's going to cost them to sell the property because that's the difference in the equity on it. Offer them a grand a month. I, I think anything less than a grand is going to be a tough pill for them to swallow. And then basically, uh, here's the key. You ready? Yeah. You got to ask for the longest term possible because. Right. That's going to offset my risk. Well, it's going, it, it is. And then remember the the debt keeps getting paid down. Exactly. So here's the key is they're four years into it, roughly, right? Their payment. Mm -hmm. Okay. You understand every year on an amortization schedule, more money goes to principal. Now, the reality is in the first seven years, predominant 90% of it goes to interest. Okay. I had an example just like this. It was tight, just like this. Find out they're in year 16 of the mortgage. 
Like, are you kidding me? Like it completely changed the numbers. Yeah. Like, shoot, I could have this thing paid off in like eight years. So the key is I always ask for five years, 60 months. Okay. The shortest window you can do, in my opinion, is three years, 36 months. But I'm just going to tell you. I would say five is where I feel tight. Because the idea, if you give someone three years to get it right and you can get through any market with that, sometimes people fail. Now, I have an opposite mindset. There's a lot of gurus tell you, well, if they can't cash it out, you just kick them out and you resell it again and you make a ton of money. I'm not telling you, man, the reality of that, you can do it. Right. But like you start to go into the kind of this, I'm not going to say the word, I'm going to get in trouble. I, <laughs> when I sell someone a house, I want to help them as much as I can. Right. And that, okay. that's why I got into this business is because I want to help people. It is going to be the catalyst of building my legacy, right? I don't care if my name is is out there or not, but I want a generational impact on this world of helping the helpless help themselves, right? So if you have the mindset of doing that, so you do have to live up to your original obligation with your seller. I'm not telling Mm -hmm. you to get back with that, but you'd be surprised if the original seller is you're making on-time payments, you've done, they forget about the house after two years. They literally like, so make sure they're hundred percent cooperative, ask for the full five years, and just to work your way through it. And honestly, if it doesn't work out, like, you know, what, like simplify it, guys. Don't like $250,000. I'll give you a price. I'll put down $10,000 and pay you a thousand a month. And then um, in five years, I will just, uh, I will cash the whole thing out. So whatever they owe on the principal. Mm-hmm. So the reality is if you hit them at 250, mm-hmm. okay, that's your contracted price. Okay. Don't get in the weeds on like, if I pay down the principal or anything like that, you owe them two fifty and the mortgage. And then you take over the existing mortgage. That mortgage is yours. So whatever the equity capture is from the day you contract, that's technically what you owe them. It's all negotiable though. Like you can say, well, what about the equity? Why I'm paying you off. If they give you a longer term, then offer it to them. Who cares? Everything's negotiable on this. The fact that the mortgage is still in the early phase, you're not talking about a lot of money here because right. the predominant amount of the money is going towards the interest. When you start talking about a mortgage that's 10 years in, I I did one, I found it eight years into a 15-year mortgage. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'll just take over the whole thing. So it's all negotiable. You're right. You've The main thing is you want to make sure you cash flow from day one. So right. if you had to walk away from the property, you and your family doesn't get hurt. Okay? Right. Make sure you have a healthy spread. I always tell people $400 or more because you can't predict what markets are going to do. And then the idea is you want to make money at the end because remember when you sell it, you're going to write the paperwork where your buyer pays most of the closing costs. So just like in wholesaling, we pass all the costs. Remember you're kind of the middleman. It's crazy for you to pay closing costs every now and then you got to pay the doc stamps and stuff like that. If you're making a ton of money, who cares? So, so how you gave me that that pro tip of saying qualified buyer over renter, yeah. um, I'll match you for some added value. Okay. Uh, instead, of, instead of saying like um, middleman or wholesaler, I always call myself a transactional manager. And Correct. people seem to really like that. Yeah. Um, what I was going to also ask, and this is this is unrelated, but but related to creative finance. And I wanted your thoughts on the strategy because I've heard about it. I've heard people say like, yes, this is great. And then I've heard people say, no, that's a great way to lose your rear end. And okay. that is like I had a property in Huntington that 
I just had to walk away from because I didn't want to just do a deal for the sake of doing a deal. It just didn't seem like it made sense. Okay. Uh, the owners were probably out of their minds on substances. They came up to me. They're like, hey, we only owe 25K. I'm like, that's great. And then I found out that they owed about 16K uh, in back payments on their mortgage. It's in pre-foreclosure yeah. and all of this. And they said, well, we just want to avoid foreclosure. We'll just give you the house, right? Well, <laughs> one of the one of the ways that uh, I saw a possible light at the end of the tunnel was going ahead, taking that over subject to putting a little bit of work into it and then doing a, um, oh, what's it called? It's part of the Burr method. It's a, a debt service relief loan on the equity of the property. And then using that to pay, pay off the mortgage that was only about 90 grand. Uh, but the property itself would have easily equitied about 150 K. And then just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I mean, this, this strategy has been around forever. A lot of people want to say they invented it. Right. Uh, the reality yeah, is when you do any type of refinancing, you got to deal with today's uh, interest rate environment, which is painful. Right. And you got to make sure like the math works. So if the math works and you can get qualified, the problem is, you know, who's going to qualify for it? You, the end buyer, like it's, yeah. it gets messy quick. So I, yeah, and I, I don't always complicate stuff. I want to. Yeah. yeah, I've bought stuff and find out after I buy it, I have to wait a year or two before I can even refinance it. Like banks are ultra conservative in today's world. Oh, yeah. So um, guys, you can do anything like you want. Like it's when people come up, I came up with this method, that method, naming it after. Dude, it's been around forever. You guys are being sucked into like marketing gimmicks. Like financing is financing. Either the bank gives it to you, the seller gives it to you, or you do a hybrid of both. When you talk about refinancing, it's tripping type of bird method. That, 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 no, most people understand the bird method usually requires a seasoning period, and most banks don't want to go past 70, 75% of financing. So you better be buying it for like a great deal. And you guys are talking about rehabbing it and putting a renter in there. God bless you, man. So, and even when I did the bird method when I started out, um, you had to wait at least 91 days to even reconsider refinancing it. So every bird method I've seen people present it, nobody tells you about the downside and there is a ton of downside on it. And Absolutely. the reality is the transaction costs. Did you know the smaller, the mortgage you do, the more the money, the, the more money the bank makes on you. It's terrible. That's crazy. It's, it's like a three to 4% profit level for them. It's, so it's hard to fight your way up, man. That is, yeah, that so is it's funny. like every time you do this, you're eating into the equity and you're praying that the, um, the, uh, appreciation will offset it. And for like really good key properties, like a waterfront that's performing through the roof, like I get it. But if you have an average property, I'm here to tell you guys it, the bird method I've always found challenging 70% they'll refinance it. Plus you got to do the rehab cost, the renter, like you got to be almost getting stuff 50, 55 cents on the dollar to even make the bird method work. And with today's environment, unless you're 30 cents on the dollar, the bird method's almost impossible. The reality is you'd have to do temporary financing and all temporary financing comes to an end. So um, I do temporary financing, but it, it's got to be a smoking deal. So well, what I'm telling you is, is creative financing is wide open. Everything's mm -hmm. good. There's no rules. And that's the scary part. And that's where a lot of people get in trouble. A lot of people teach creative financing as you can bypass wholesaling. And everyone I've ever seen do that. Tell me why you're so successful at creative financing. Well, I did three deals. Here's my question every time. How much money did you make? 
Well, I didn't make any money. I actually paid money. I'm like, so how are you better than wholesaler? Well, in 10 years, I'm going to make 100000 I go, man, I, I've been down that road before, man. It's the, the problem is you don't know if you're going to make it. So we right. all have to survive today. So if you can do creative finance, you can be at least net positive from day one, make monthly cash flow and make money again, you will do very well. I, I agree. See. You can create some long-term wealth. I've never disputed that. The problem is you still have to kind of have a day-to-day -day job to produce. So why not use your wholesaling income to use it in these? So if you right. go strictly from creative financing, what are you going to do after the first few deals? And that's where people like, I have a 90% success rate. I'm like, did you make any money today? Tell me the truth. Right. And I am concerned for a lot of people who have done creative, creative financing over the last three or four years because some of these yeah, numbers, I bet they're I bet they're sweating right now for sure. I would be um, sweating because rents yeah. are rolling back. And uh, yeah. I, I think everyone will be okay in the long run. But the problem is if you get in a short-term jam and you need to create cash, wholesaling is your answer. You can't yes. liquidate creative finance because it is a long-term play. And that's what I'm I'm super excited about with the uh, with the DMZ Zach driving for dollars challenge. I, I got my team. We're gonna go out every Saturday yeah. and get our properties and all that good stuff. So last but not least, with the, okay. the question on this, what when I'm talking about you know offering a tax advantage, what am what what advantage am I really offering these homeowners other than kind of like a delayed gratification with paying taxes? And so, earning some money so off the, the, the tax advantage is going to be for the people that have owned the property a long time and they're okay. like free and clear. Okay. Because I'm not here to give them like tax advice. So like, don't yeah. take this as it. Nothing, nothing is legal advice I'm, here. I'm, I've dealt with, um, so I deal with people all the time with like apartments that bought it 30, 40 years ago, like some crazy, like uh, 300,000. And now they're worth 3 million. And they're like, Rick, uh, so the, if you guys don't know this, like small apartments, 50 units and under, most of the paper is traded like hand to hand. Um, so most financing on like apartments is usually five years or less. Sometimes you get 10, but a lot of it, like people do short because the banks want to turn them over money over all the time and just keep it rolling. So most of the time, a, an apartment in five years, it's usually worth more and everyone's covered. So the problem is the guy bought it for three hundred thousand dollars worth three million, and say he's like, you know, eighty-seven years old. Every one of them will tell you nine out of ten go, Rick. I want to sell it to you. I would love to hold paper for you. I just don't want to pay the taxes on it. Okay, they'll all say the same thing. Is terrible. I don't want to pay taxes till the day I die. And right. like, okay, like you know what? You've earned it. And your estate's going to be, he goes, they can eat the taxes when I sell it. My kids are like, you know, and so what? It's, it's a big fat tax. Now there's a million strategies to offset the taxes. I go get people to help me out. I don't solve this stuff. Like I am not a tax expert. I just say, Hey, listen, he wants to avoid taxes. How can we minimize it over the next three to five years? And nice. I told him, listen, I want you to live. And a lot of people goes, listen, Rick, I'm on oxygen. Like I'm on day to day. I'm like, okay, I get it. So if we figure out a three to five year plan and then deal with it afterwards, but I go, but somebody has to pay the tax bill like eventually. So there's all sorts of things you can do with a land contract or certain types of trust. Guys, right. it's over my head. All I do is go to a tax expert and go, hey, listen, you understand real estate. Here's his position. He bought it for 300,000. It's worth 3 million. He wants to sell it to me. He'll give me a good deal. He'll do the financing, everything. But here's the deal is, 
he wants to minimize his, his taxes. How can we write this? And then I see them to write it. Like I do not come up with it and they'll give you three options and you go, okay. And then I explain to him, I go, I got three options, which one you want to do. And usually you're talking to his accountant, his lawyer, and they go like, yeah, that's correct. We can do stuff like that. That's it. That's all they go. I don't want to pay the taxes and I don't want to deal with the headache anymore. So how can we make this work? They typically want their price and I know that. So I will give them their price and then I reverse engineer the whole other thing. Okay. So if you guys find an elderly person, like think about it. If you were 90 years old too, do you want to pay the tax on it while you're alive? Some people do because they think it's the responsibility. Other things like, okay, my kids only get what? 200. They, they only get what? 2.3 million. And I like, who cares? And, right. uh, to me, it's, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't understand that argument, but like, I, I understand it, but I don't. So, um, and there's all sorts of strategies people can do. You know, there's a thing where people, you can buy uh, life insurance and offset the tax benefit, but a, a life insurance on a 90 year old man is probably not even feasible. Yeah. Um, I bought a guy once a, uh, some type of policy. I've bought terms. I've bought whole life. I don't know how to do this stuff, guys. I just go find the experts and go, Hey, how do I, how do I accomplish this for him? All I'm, all we're doing, Christopher is solving problems. And with right. the internet and the, the, the ability yes. to connect with any all over the world, go deep. Don't just search an internet on a form go, okay, how do I do this? Hey, how can I accomplish this? And then what I learned is you can do installment payments and you can make a majority of them like interest, do a land contract, do all sorts of installment payments. And then it's up to the IRS and the accountant what's recognized as income and not. Dude, don't try to figure it out yourself because uh, right, I, I don't I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want to give bad advice. I go, hey, we have this option. We have this option. Which one you want to do? So when I talk about the tax savings, it's typically for people that are older that don't want to pay the taxes right now. Eventually, we all pay the tax if we're alive or dead. But understanding a majority of people own properties free and clear that bought it for next to nothing and it's worth millions. Now. I've seen people with 20, 30 million dollar gains. Like I get it. Like they bought a piece of dirt, it got developed, and it's like, how do I do this? The really cool thing is it's all open to negotiations. Just find out what your sellers want to accomplish, find out what they'll do for you, and see if you can put them two together, and then go find some people. And guys, it's no big deal if you pay someone a thousand or fifteen hundred to set this up for you. It's well worth it. The money will be in the deal to pay for it for like ever. So I have two deals of people like pretty large apartment complexes on the other side of the country. Both have the same, they have the exact same issue. So honestly, this comes up in about 75% of elderly people I deal with, but I, I'm not like, once I figure out how to do it, I don't, I always go to like a tax expert because I don't want to get in trouble. Like it's like, that's it. So when you hear tax, just say this, tell me exactly what you want to accomplish. Rick, I want to sell this to you for $2.2 million. And I don't want to pay taxes and I don't want to pay closing costs. Then okay. That Are you willing to take payments and hold paper for it? Yes. Okay. Give me two to three days. Let me solve this equation. I'm going to give you a couple options. Does that sound fair? Absolutely. And then I go meet with them and then I, I spend time just building rapport with them and I connect with them. And then, so then you deal with them and then you got to usually deal with his, his or hers accountant and lawyer. And then that's a whole nother hurdle. And then what I do is I hire someone to start talking their language and I get the hell out of the way. Nice. And that's, that's it. Sweet. And that's then basically sweet. guys, if you want, like on a higher in person, you can just write a simple letter of intent. Hey, right. I'll buy it for 2.3 million. You're going to hold a, uh, a 2.1 million dollar um, uh, note on it. 
we're going to come up with a hundred thousand dollars and we're going to set, uh, we're going to try to accomplish the payments where you only pay like interest only to defer your taxes. Um, I will break this detail down in the next, uh, three to four days. Right. And then just see if they'll sign a letter of intent. A letter of intent doesn't obligate anybody to anything. Like I, I mean, it, cre it creates that mental tie. You exactly. Know, it gives you time to put the deal together. And yes. honestly, do you want to go and hire all these people if they don't really have any intention of selling it to you? No. So here's yeah. the risk with the old timers that want to do like the, the tax. It's not tax evasion, guys. It's tax deferment. Right. Sometimes they will use you like a wet rag and they'll like, oh, let's show me what you're going to do. So I don't want to spend a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars if they're just like kicking the tires, you know. Right. So make sure you have some sort of intent before you go hire someone. And by the way, if you do this right, you build relationships. You don't have to pay the consultants up front. I call them consultants. Most of them call them lawyers. Um, you could say, listen, when I do the deal, I will pay you on the closing. And right. they'll do it all day long because you understand most of the stuff's boilerplate stuff. Like they just a template, they put it in this document. Tell me the numbers you want. I put it in. And here's the really cool part. If you do it once or twice, like I've done, then you have this boilerplate thing. But like, once again, I don't like to give tax advice. You just go, hey, will this option work for you? And you just plug it in and see if it kind of go from there. So um, the sky's the limit on creative financing, guys. You just, once again, go from a position to help people. So in your current case you're dealing with now, just do a basic, simple offer. See if it works for them. And then- right let them counter you and see where you wind up with. Yeah. And just here, here's, this is the craziest thing I say to people in creative financing. Listen, if, if I can't buy your house, like what are you guys going to do? And just yeah. shut up. And a lot of times they'll go like this. Honestly, Rick, I don't know. I'm hoping it works out with you. So they, once they I know that I can work with them, but like I can't make them do a deal with me. Okay. Right. If right. you know, listing, it's not an option. And they, you know, you've tried every option to walk them down. Have you thought, I always throw this out because I want to get it done. If you thought about borrowing money from family, they'll usually be like, what are you crazy? Like that's worth them working yeah. with you. That's yeah. why I'm talking to you. I'm like, okay. Remember, if you walk down all these things, because if you don't, when you go to do the paperwork, I promise you they're all going to pop up. You're going to be like, crap, I should have solved that beforehand. I, I think this one's going to be a follow on because- they have a realtor kind of telling them sweet nothings that they're going to be able to move it. And they're going to be able to move it for this yep. price and this and all this. So I, I think what it's going to be is, is me saying, Hey, you know, this is what we have wholesale side. This is what we have creative side. This is what I can do for you. I go talk to the realtor, you know, work something out. If it works, that is great. If it's not, I'm here, I'm going to follow up with you in 30 days, 60 days yep. and make sure. That's, you that's how it works guys. Everything we do, and wholesaling and creative financing is from a problem solving thing. I'm here to tell you, like a lot of people like work, I'm just going to do creative financing. Somebody showed me and said, it's easier. I go easier. So do you think it's easier to pay full price? The problem is you still got to get the terms. Okay. And then are you going to cash flow from day one? And if you go out and do 10 deals, how much money are you going to make? Like, well, I didn't really think that far through. I'm like, because I got to tell you, creative finance the last three or four years, you guys were stroking huge checks to get people to do it. Huge checks. Now, it doesn't always mean you have to do that. But the problem is if you go out and somebody said on here, well, what if I market for creative finance? And I go, hold on, because the wheels are going to come off the bus. You'd be shocked how many people will take a full price. Everybody wants a full price offer. The question is, are they willing to take the terms for it? And right. that's where your wholesaling background is everything in creative financing. Right. You can't just give the seller everything they want. You're going to get killed. you got to find sellers that have exhausted every option. 
and you have to be a true professional and help them out, even yes. if you don't make a profit with it. And if, I promise you the ones that you help out for free, it will make up tenfold for you. And that's I how it works. Really so, okay, bud. Thanks again for your service and uh, keep so in touch, much. man. Okay, man. I'll well, see you. Okay. Nick, you there? Yep. What's going on, Nick? What can I do for you? Uh, so I had a couple of questions. First of all, um, as far as like finding the buyer for the subject to, um, and I know this might sound a little elitist, why not, why not go for a 20,000 down payment? Because it's like uh, if we need to find qualified buyers and I, I guess my concern is I don't want to end up, if I did something like subject to, I wouldn't want to get somebody who's like going to be a squatter or who Correct. has to move out and, you know, trashes the place before they move out. Okay. So number one, you're never going to deal with a squatter and a subject to, cause they don't pay anything ever. Like they just squatters just move in the house by force and take over. Okay. Okay. So you, you do have to underwrite your buyers like end of story. Like the story has to make complete sense. So the main thing I focus on is quality people. Like, I'm just going to tell you, dude, I'm looking for clean people. Like, it, but I mean, how do you find them? I guess that's my question. Oh my God. So it, it's, so here's all you have to do. Um, you're, you're, you basically run an ad so you can run it electronically in paper print. It, the same verbiage works for all of them. No bank qualifying low down payment. You're going to get buried. Okay. Do you guys realize how hard it is to get a mortgage these days? I don't think you truly banks. The reality is banks only want to give mortgages to people who don't really need them. Okay. The banks only, they qualify on three things. Your DTI, your debt to income ratio. How much are you spending now? And are you spending more than you make? If you're not, you're not getting a mortgage. Number two, they want to look at your history of income and they're looking over 24 months. Okay. You can't, BS a bank on your income. It has to be W-2 and they're going to look at your tax return. Okay. And number three, they're going to look at your credit score. Okay. You're going to look at all same three of them. Okay. And the best way to do that, if you want to accomplish that is simply work with a mortgage broker. Okay. Why? Well, Rick, why do I want to pay him a fee? Honestly, it covers your butt. Like, so in a lot of States and I'm not getting into legalities is you got to make sure that the people buying the house are going to be qualified enough to buy it in the end. Now you can repair anyone's credit, but I can't fix your job income. So the main thing, I don't care so much about their credit. I'm looking for cleanliness. I'm looking for the type of pets, the down payment. And I'm the mo biggest thing I hang my hat on is your job history income. And if it's sporadic, that's what you're going to deal with. And I only look at the history as far as the down payment. I want the biggest down payment I can get. Nick, like end of story. What I'm talking about the down payment is to your seller. If you give them 20 grand, you have to accept at least 20, 25. And you're going to like, it becomes challenging because sometimes the market doesn't yield that we're all in different markets. So the smaller the down payment you do to your seller, the more flexible you can be on the type of payment you take. Some of these houses are, some of people are in lower income, 10 to $12,000. So what's the rule if think about this, how much do you have to put down for the lowest payment on like if you qualify for a mortgage to buy a house? How, what do you think is the normal down payment? I I honestly have no idea. So pro probably 5% is the minimum and the bank doesn't like it. Like you're going to pay PMI and all that other stuff. So 
say it's a $200,000 house, which we agree is a very low income house these days, 200,000 times five, that's what 10 grand, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got to like, look at it from the bank's perspective, like 5% is the minimum you would ever take on a down payment on a house. Okay. So what, here's my rule, whatever you give to the seller, make sure you can double that. So if I give a seller 10, five grand, I have to ask for a minimum of 10 grand. Remember it's a minimum. And I have some people that go, Rick, I want to give you more. I got extra money. A lot of people got extra money set aside. If I give you 35 grand, can you lower that payment from 1500 to like 1300? Dude, I'll do it all day long. Cause you're right, Nick, the more they put down up front, the more they're bought into the property. So if they're going to give me more significantly more, they're, I guarantee you, they're going to ask you for a lower payment. Give it to them because I'd rather have the money up front than spread over um, three or five years. Mm -hmm. So it's all negotiable, but you will, you will find there is a limit in what people will pay you. Now, here's my concern. I made a huge mistake once, and I want you guys to learn on. You ready? People that offer you giant payments, be wary. Be very wary. Number one, where did the money come from? And number two, what kind of problems am I walking into? I took one of these deals. I took 55 grand up front wow. and it was a disaster. They, they subleased it. Long story short, it, like the wrong people got in the house and it was a nightmare. Okay. So it's one of those things where if it's too much money, you better start asking a lot of questions because it's going to be problematic. Okay. okay. Nobody just puts up huge chunks of monies like that for no, you're, they're buying a, you're buying a problem. So 5%, the max you ever take typical on a property would be 15%. Anything more than that, you're buying problems. Like it doesn't make sense. So they're trying to hide something on you. They're going to run some sort of legal operation or they're, they're going to run something that you don't want in your property. So here's a simple rule, guys. Whatever you give to your creative financing deal, double it. Double what you expect. So if you give them 10, you have to do 20. And if you don't think the market's going to hold that, then you have to lower that number. And that's how I protect myself. Over the last four years, a lot of you guys have been put down twenty to $50,000 down payments. What are you going to collect? Forty dollars to $100,000? It's insane. This is how I got in trouble doing creative financing. I gave everybody whatever they wanted because I had the money. And then I found out three years later, I got killed. So I learned cash flow from day one cash flow each month and cash flow at the end. And you'll do these things over and over. And you need to understand that. So do you understand my rule? Like whatever you give to the seller, you want to get double from your buyer. That way you're protected. Okay. Mm -hmm. So even if you had to negotiate a little bit, say you gave five grand and you asked for 10 and they go, you know, will you take eight? I'll take eight if I have no other offers. But if I get offers as high as 20, I'll take that too. You are not going to get a squatter in this type of deal. And remember, they have to fill out an application Guys, spend the $25, $35 and do a full background check on them. Mm -hmm. And you can charge them that fee when you do an application that's perfectly legal. Squatters will never pay you a dime. They're never going to stick around for a background check. They'll never make it through your qualifying process. Okay. You do not want to be selling these things on Craigslist. And by the way, I use realtors a lot of time to find high quality people. Guess what the realtor wants, Nick? There's only one thing. Commission. There you go. So just make sure the commission's built in. And if you get a quality buyer, it's sometimes worth doing it. So, okay. Um, okay. Uh, second question, uh, as far as virtual markets um, are like Kansas and Oklahoma, good markets as far as that, because I, I guess my, my, one of the uh, issues that I'm having with the virtual markets is 
I don't have people who can go check at the house or wherever, wherever it is. And I almost, um, I'm, I'm more interested in just getting them under contract. Not sure how to do that virtually, but then just like focusing on finding the cash buyers. Okay. So what were the markets again? Uh, Kansas and Oklahoma. Okay. So, um, do uh, Oklahoma's got some crazy, I guess they're statutes. So just make sure you look in that one first. I'm not, I, I've done a thousand things on it. I'm not here to scare people. Okay. Um, Kansas, you're fine there. Um, are you mainly looking like from the wholesaling and do overflow of any type of creative financing deals? Um, or are you looking extremely just from creative finance? No, I'm just, I'm just doing the, I want to do the wholesaler. I okay. just want to find, like, I, I just want to get something, yeah. get it under contract and then. So you, you, you want to find the, the virtual market that is most uh, that you think you're going to have the best success in whichever one you pick. It doesn't always mean you're right. I always tell you the best way to do that because remember, once you do a virtual market, you're not confined. You can go to any market you want. So find the one you think you're going to have the best success. The best way to do it without guessing is use the trick me and Zach teach you, which is reverse engineer current wholesalers that can't help but brag. Get on their cash buyers list, look on their Facebook feeds, uh -huh. and start identifying the areas where they're having success today. Not six months ago, not two years ago, today. And here's the thing is, they're, you're using their ego to your advantage because you don't have to spend money to find out where people are making money. The old days we had to do comprehensive, like crazy type of stuff to figure out which markets work today. You don't have to do that. So if you really want to be like, want to find out instead of completely guessing, you can use data, but data is always dated. Okay. Find if you're picking those two markets, find wholesalers, subscribe to their groups on Facebook, whatever it is, Instagram, whatever and find ones that are having success, get on their cash buyers list and start scrolling through and look at the zip codes. Look at the price points and see if they're selling properties right now. And that will save you time and money for you. Because if not, you're just going to do this blindly. And it's going to take you three months of data to find before you find out if you're going to be successful or not. So I like doing it the uh, opposite way. Reverse engineer it. It doesn't cost you any money, so you might as well put the time in now, and then you'll learn a lot more about that market. I don't no. know because you know we're talking states, and it's geographically huge. So um, look back through, um, like Flip with Rick means Zach did a thing on like which markets are going to be the best and the which ones are going to help you out, and um, maybe that'll help you out with it. But like the problem is a lot of you guys are guessing. So if you're going to a market because you live there, you went to school there, like mm -hmm. I get it. That's part the boots on the ground. You're going to have that problem no matter which market you go to. So don't let that be a determining factor. It's painful. I'm just going to be brutally upfront. You got to find someone to go around, take pictures for you, make sure they do the job and make sure they don't piss people off. Then occasionally you have to help have them help you out, get stuff notarized, get signatures signed and deal with some difficult cash buyers and see if they'll do the basics before you give them those tasks. And be prepared. Don't trust anything anyone says. Make sure they do exactly what they say. Take the pictures. I'll send you over the money. And make sure you, if you offered them 50 bucks, pay them 50 bucks. But yeah. the, the boots on the ground, you're going to have that same problem no matter which market you pick out. So don't like use that as a uh, mm -hmm. well, I, I guess I'm I guess I'm just overthinking the competition aspect of it because I know like in my area here in Nebraska, yeah. um, a house can, you know, go up for you know, a sale or whatever. And uh, within like a day, it seems like uh, a realtor 
has already snagged it. So it's I'm I'm overthinking the competition. It does, guys, but I'm here to tell you, Nick, always do your local market. Um, the, the wholesalers are, are thinning out. And remember, only the speculator wholesalers are thinning out because they don't understand how to operate in today's environment. So don't leave. That's the key. Because it's going to seem like it's getting difficult right now between 2023. But I'm telling you, by like late spring, summer, there ain't going to be anybody left in the game except us. Okay. And that's when you can absolutely make a killing. So always be in tune with your local market. Mm-hmm. Don't let competition dictate if you're going to stay there or not. Okay. The exception to that, if you're in San Diego, San Francisco, Manhattan, or like Miami, there's such established market with huge price points. I'm just going to be brutally honest. Unless you're okay and you've got funding sources, those are challenging. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Nebraska, I'm just, I know it seems saturated. It's going to change, dude. I'm just telling you right now, okay. just start taking the temperature of your local market. Virtual markets, you can pick anyone out. So find one where someone's having success today. It's not hard to find. Like, dude, all day long. And, and just, you can use some of the, the even recent politics. I'm not talking about politics, but like you can find out where people are coming into like appreciating areas, you can find all the statistical stuff you want through Zillow and, and uh, Trulia and stuff like that. And then find a market, find three or four markets and just start signing up for cash buyers list and find the zip codes, find the price points. You're like, oh my God, like I'm telling you guys, we have just begun. You know, if you guys go to other countries, like it's really hard to buy properties. Like they, they're blown away like how you can just freely buy uh, properties in America. Why not take advantage of it? So- Reverse engineer it. You'll do very, very well. The boots okay. on the ground, you're just, you're just going to have to find people that do what they say, and it's a pain in the butt. Okay. Um, are, one last thing. Are you, yes. are you and uh, 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 Zach going to be doing uh, any more videos on how to find cash buyers and that kind of a thing? Because yeah. I, I I'm, I'm worried about not being able to – I don't want to get something under contract. And then after 30 days, still not being able to find a cash buyer. Yeah, just go on the YouTube and Google like everything we do with it. The one thing I tell you is, guys, create more flexibility in your contracts, meaning your inspection periods, because you're going to need them. Because cash buyers are not committing in a day or two anymore. Mm -hmm. Most of them are two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you got to leave meat on the bone for them. Otherwise, so you guys got to find the accurate ARVs and we need to like get it done. So, Leave yourself more room. The one or two days for a cash buyer is not realistic anymore. Okay. And you're going to have to spend more time with cash buyers than you ever have before. It seems like a foreign skill set. But this is the norm of wholesaling. This whole thing where you don't have to get to know your cash buyers and do anything. That's going to be on hold probably for about a year, year and a half. Okay. Awesome. So, so just spend more time with them. So I don't want you getting stuck with the contract at all. That's why if you give a 30-day inspection period, that gives you two to three weeks to figure it out. And do just don't wait till the 29th day to get out of the contract. That's yeah. That's like a pet peeve of mine. If you know, like if you know you're way off on price, like figure it out, either get out of the contract or renegotiate it. And you guys need to like, when you're, when people are giving you a difficult time with the number and they're not going for your go for no, and you reach for that price, make sure you preclude that conversation is like, okay, well, if we have to revisit a price reduction, just understand it's coming. Meaning if this property doesn't check out perfectly, I'm coming back to you for a reduction. And mm-hmm. so if I get closer to that price, I'm already doing that with them up front. Okay. And that's one of the things we've changed too. So guys, sometimes like properties, not all properties sell for wholesalers. It doesn't matter. It happens to everybody. 
The idea is I don't want you getting out of 50, 60% of your contracts because that's where it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. okay. it, it'll burn you out and you don't want to do that, Nick. So, um, but go through, we got plenty of videos to help you out with it. And we just did some recent ones for you to help you out. Okay. Thanks. Hey, guys, okay. Man. okay. Awesome. Bye. Okay, guys. Uh, that is it. I got to wrap this up. Tell me if you guys like the one o'clock Eastern time. I know some of you do. I miss some of you guys on. So what's gosh, today's Friday. So I, well, me and Zach survived the hurricane. We're fine. I'm getting tired of these hurricanes because I get, I've never had one this late. So, um, we kind of changed this week up. I'll let you know what the schedule is for next week. Um, I'll be back on Monday. Um, I'm going to do 8 PM Eastern. Zach will be on Sunday and you guys can always connect with me on Facebook and in the comments and YouTube guys. I appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. If you haven't, uh, put in your comments. And also, if you guys want to check me out on my YouTube channel, Rick Ginn, you can also check out my son on Zach Ginn. And I'll see you guys soon, man. Go out there, get some deals, make it happen, man. I appreciate you guys.